Welcome to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. I'm Rob. And I'm Mark. And armed with Wi-Fi and microphone, Mark and I will cut through the thicket of new series nonsense to give you, our wonderful listeners, the honest unvarnished truth. Buckle in, people. So we're back, Mark. How have you been? I've been well. How have you been? Well, my football team's been doing pretty good up until the weekend in our football finals. And North Melbourne beat Richmond uh, a couple of weeks ago. Wasn't happy with that. The most uh, <laughs> unsurprising thing, Richmond fell over in a, gra- in a final. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, I was at the ground. Still, it burns. It, it burns. burns it burns like the fiery mm. pits of Inferno. I was at the ground um, uh, that day, courtesy of some friends in, in one of the members' reserves, so that was quite fun. Uh, nothing like seeing uh, the stadium was about 70 30 uh, Richmond supporters because uh, Richmond's got a very high supporter base here in Melbourne and we do yes it was amazing after the uh, traditionally they do the uh, national anthem and right at the very end everyone sort of roars out and it was very very loud with Richmond supporters but they progressively got quieter and quieter as the game uh, went on so but um, yeah my boys got done uh, on the weekend against um, West Coast who made it into the grand final with Hawthorne so that'll be Interesting this weekend. And the less said about Frio, the better. <laughs> Especially their supporters. Uh, yeah. Google Fremantle supporter bashes woman. And there's some disgraceful, there's some disgraceful uh, footage taken on someone's smartphone. Uh, alleged. With uh, the football winding down, that's um, that coincided with Doctor Who winding up, Mark. Season 9 has begun. Yes. And uh, we've had two episodes. So, Rob, hit it. Hit it. Hit it hard. No. For the first 10 minutes, we're going to have a quick review uh, of the episodes. We're not going to spend three hours talking about it because, frankly, we've all got better things to talk about. So let's spend the next 10 minutes uh, reminiscing uh, and percolating our thoughts. So, Rob. If I was to describe uh, The Magician's Apprentice... Now, I went into this not knowing anything. I'm, I'm, ignorance is bliss, and I was extremely ecstatic. Um, I liken uh, my um, reaction to it uh, to being a bit like Death Valley. At the beginning... There was it was it was great. I mean, I was sitting down watching it, and then when the little boy said, uh, "My name is Dave Ross," I sat up. <laughs> I mean, Dave Ross, of course. I sat up. And I thought, "Oh, Moffat's actually managed to surprise me." And then um, the next thirty minutes was a bit like Death Valley, where the plot just sort of, you know, stop. It staggered into the hundred degree hellhole, basically withered up and almost died. And then at the very end. Uh, it all sort of picked up nicely and whilst leaving us on a cliffhanger that wasn't actually resolved until the end of the next episode uh, was interesting. Uh, I'm not quite sure the cliffhanger giving the impression that the Doctor is going to shoot a child dead is what you want to leave your audience with. The middle section of the of the episode didn't really hang together for me. It seemed like a whole lot of set pieces that Moffat was scrambling to put together to fill in the, the running time. I don't. It didn't feel to me as if he had got the hang of, well, I've got two episodes to tell this story. I'm not entirely... I just haven't come to grips with actually pacing the story correctly. Plus, the silliness of it didn't... It just doesn't work, sit well with me. Um, you know, the whole sort of axe battle and the Doctor riding in on a tank, which obviously is an allusion to the Daleks, of course, but um, it... Just it was a bit silly, and 
it you know it didn't work with me particularly well. But when they got to Scaro and, and things picked up and sort of Davros sort of just sort of appeared. It was there was no um, build up to it as such. Uh, mm. But I, I actually sort of sit, sitting there going, well, they're not going to bring Davros out, are they? But they did. They wheeled him out. So my first watching of um, The Magician's Apprentice, I wasn't impressed with it. I then sat down and watched it a, a second time and live tweeted for anyone who's you know uh, who's following the Forty Two to Doomsday uh, Twitter account and all three of you, all three of you, and uh, watching it again, it, it improved it for me. It may be because I was distracting myself by tweeting that I skipped over the boring bits that didn't hang together well. But I came out with it, out of it with a slightly more positive impression for the first episode. So it seemed to fail to on the launch pad a little bit the first episode for me. But uh, I suppose I'll talk about the second episode later. What did you think of the Magician's Apprentice, Mark? I did like the opening Scarrow scenes. Thought they were very uh, evocative, very well done. Of Genesis, I mean the whole of episode, Genesis. the whole story is is evocative of Genesis, isn't it? Exactly, it's a homage, isn't it? Really, or is it, or is it a loose sequel? Mm, prequel and sequel in a sense do you what do you think of the wisdom of uh, the doctor stumbling across young Davros because the new series has got a habit of doing that don't they the young master uh, mm. the young ponds um, who else was young uh, Rose young Rose uh, a baby baby Rose uh, yeah they, 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 the, seri- the new series tends to do that I, th- I suppose that's sort of trying to create that sort of emotional link but what did you think about meeting a young Davros the whole idea I thought it was very interesting. Um, I am a bit slightly concerned that there is it sort of pandering too much to fan wank. Doctor is supposed to be made for a general audience, and those that have watched the Tenant years, they would have known who Davros is. So, I mean, as old classic series fans were uh, surprised and delighted, I suppose the general public would have picked it up, wouldn't they? Well, the common complaint about Attack of the Cybermen is it references uh, stories that were screened 20 years before. Um... But in the first five minutes. In the first five minutes. And yeah. and there was a lot of complaints about that, that you're going to lose a general audience that way because they won't know what the hell's going on. So if the opening to uh, The Magician's Apprentice references a story 40 years ago, is Moffat running the risk of compounding or repeating the error that J&T and Saywood uh, made all those years ago? No, because I think the way they did it was was actually better they had the small visual references to their past encounters and you know you hear all the doctor's voices were the ones that uh, although i thought when they're when playing the doctor's voices that they excluded colin baker then you see a visual reference of him and i thought i wonder if it's a little let's make up message from uh, from the moff to colin there but you do hear baker give his lines from revelation no you actually see him you see him and you hear him. But I thought when they're doing the initial part of it, because it went to I think Davison and McCoy, mm. and the camera pans, you see a quick visual reference of McCoy. Then it switches back to Tom Baker and Genesis, mm. and then it switches to um, Revelation. I haven't gone back and watched the episode twice. I watched the Davros scene a couple of times because mm-hmm. I thought that was actually really well done. Capaldi and Julian Bleach were um, were fantastic, but uh, my problem with it was actually there's a couple of things. The guitar scenes in medieval England were just went on for too long. If it was shorter, would you have would it have still worked for you? Would it have worked for you at all? It actually didn't work for me at all, to be okay. honest. But if you're going to put it in there, just make it less. Why did the Daleks send their spies back to medieval England? It's all part of their cunning plan. That was I was I'm still a bit it's a bit head scratchy for me as well at the moment. So I found the the beginning quite disjointed, sort of switching planets here and there and 
just to prove the point that you know the snake man was searching for the doctor did you find the whole airplane scenario very rtd absolutely rtd yeah, no. There was no need for it, really, was it? This is my point about a whole lot of set pieces strung together in a desperate attempt to fill in the 45 minutes. The unit, I mean, jumping from the different planets, jumping, you know, from unit to somewhere, you know, in North Africa or wherever it was, uh, where Missy and, and Clara um, have their confrontation. Um, it, it all felt a bit bitey and and a waste. And I thought that, I mean, you know, anyone could come up with a, a different version or different way of bringing the plot together bringing clara and, and missy together I, I i thought that whole unit scene where she sort of reveals herself through uh the, the, the those lyrics what was the song that she was basing that off mickey mickey, hey, mickey. oh mickey by tony okay. basil uh youtube check the uh video on youtube people and that was a cover actually oh really i just thought that 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 that, that section there that whole section there was uh, could have been done a, a bit what could have been done in a different way that didn't sort of sacrifice uh the character of the doctor sort of reverting to a, a rather silly exhibition uh, that doesn't sort of fit with the character I, I didn't i didn't find uh, and there was a better way to bring clara and missy together as well stephen can write two parters well mm. we've seen that in the empty child doctor dances and although to a lesser degree science and library and forest of the dead, dead is that uh, forest of this the, one? something the day of the moon what did he get right in those stories that uh, you thought he might have missed a trick in these in this two-parter. I think the canvas that he was trying to paint on was too broad. If you're going to have a story that is effectively a, a confrontation between Davros and, and and the Doctor and a meditation on the themes around, uh, say, Genesis, it just took him too long to get there. And well, as I said before, he, he the way the route that he took was a bit of a, a cook's tour of uh, different ideas, really. It just it didn't didn't gel for me. It didn't gel for me. Uh, just before we move on to uh, the witch's familiar, what did you think of Jenna's uh, performance? I thought she was fine. Although smug, I just loved. It. She's a school teacher. All of a sudden, she gets a phone call. Come mm. back to the back cave and help sort it out. Uh, that's it's silly, but that's fun. I can I can live with that. I can live with that. Okay, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. Missy, has your opinion changed? If the magician's apprentice was the only episode. Uh, I would say it, it, it would my opinion of the character and the portrayal would plumb new depths. It's all redeemed a little bit uh, in the second episode. People have compared her, her uh, performance, Gomez's performance to Delgado. Is that right? <laughs> Is that what I have seen on the Twitter and, and the Facebook? Yeah. Is that yeah, and they're entitled to their opinion as well. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. That's true. They've obviously not watched any Delgado episodes, but they're entitled to their opinion. Or maybe they saw him in a Time Monster <laughs> Part 6. No, I thought that her performance was just uh, too wacky, too zany. It just constantly undercut uh, the scenes that she was appearing in. And it's the same thing with, with the performance that John Sims was lumbered with or asked to give that you know I, I, was, I was watching the first episode and I, was, I was screaming bring back Derek Jacoby if the master is is Moriarty to the doctor Sherlock Holmes then the whole idea of two serious protagonists or protagonists going at each other is undermined by the fact that she's just silly acts in a silly manner I mean she's clearly you know dangerous and I suppose what Moffat and co are going for is that She's unpredictable. One moment she could be, you know, cackling like a loon. The next minute she's vaporized you. And from in that sort of uh, contrast, 
is the menace in the character. You don't know whether the, the, the stick of dynamite is going to blow up in your hand or not. But I, I just thought that the execution of that was very poor. If we had never seen the classic series and we came into this show new and we've only seen the John Sim incarnation of the Master, mm. and uh, do you think our opinion of Missy would change? Oh, if I came in, in cold to the new series and thought that the John Sim's portrayal of the Master is the way it is... Yeah, this is a natural extension, yeah? This is just a natural extension, except she's wearing a dress. No, I wasn't thrilled. I have to be honest, I wasn't thrilled. I think when you have Missy fondling Dalek balls, <laughs> it's just so out of character for the Master, and I think that's why I have a problem with it. It's not the fact that she's a woman, it's just the fact that she's not really the Master to me. And again, it comes down to the way she's written. To show that she's unstable, she switches accents. mm that, to me, is not good character development. No. I mean, look, it's hard to escape the mindset uh, of the classic series where the... You know, it the, is. The Master yeah. is effectively... Is, is, is as I said before, the, the Moriarty to the Dr. Sherlock Holmes. So there's a certain seriousness that we expect. Yes. And I'm not getting that, so I, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way. But, look, you know, there are people out there who really enjoy that, who praise Gomez's performance and praise, praise the writing for us. And that's fair enough. You know, I'm not going to rain on their parade. But it's not the Master that I sort of grew up with. Um, uh, so that's why I'm not a hundred percent with what with it. Uh, I just I want to dial it back to uh, asking you about Jenna's performance. You enjoyed her performance, is that right? I thought it was okay. I thought she was phoning it in for most of it. Really? I I got the impression that uh, she'd been out of the saddle for a little bit too long, and and coming back into it, she just had to. It took her a bit of, a bit of time to 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 find her feet again. Um, and I thought she was a bit diffident, you know, uninterested in, in, in what was going on. Just, that, that was the impression that I got anyway. Maybe it was written for a different companion because she changed her mind at the Christmas episode. That's correct, yeah. Was that right? So maybe it was written for something else and I had to pair it back. And as you said, it might have been, she might have been at the set a little bit too long or just maybe didn't mesh. Mm. I, I, look, I thought it was okay, but maybe I'm just used to that performance that level of performance Capaldi was great he's direct but he's not as angry yes and and this is what Colin Baker was lamenting that he never got the chance to do this that in series 8 Capaldi's doctor was very very angry and prepared to show it yeah and this is dialed back a little bit I what I didn't like at the end of the episode was him getting down on his knees and begging that was terrible that felt completely out of character for this doctor and yeah. for any other doctor as well but was it a ploy? Because at the end where he allegedly tricked... Davros? Yeah, but then you're relying on the Doctor believing that Missy has done something with the uh, Vortex... Is it Vortex Manipulators? Time Manipulators? Vor yeah, Vortex Manipulators. Yeah, that he, he realises that she's actually... You know, they've both escaped. Well, that was even before hmm. uh, that she was killed. You're relying on the Doctor believing that Missy's going to save Clara... Uh, where I don't know that that is actually true, and that the, what he was doing there was actually real for the was was real, was mm. actual begging, and I, you know, I don't ever see the doctor begging anyone for anything, no matter what's at stake. I can see him bargaining, yeah, for time. Mm. I can't see him getting on his hands and knees and clasping his hands and asking Davros, you know, not to do this. I mean, it, it's powerful, but it's not the Doctor. 
I agree. What about the Doctor and Davros's chair? Where did that cup of tea come from, Rob? We've skipped ahead to the Witch's Familiar. I thought the cliffhanger was... I mean, I know you said it's not a very good uh, ending to uh, have in the mind's eye, in, in particularly in children, for a week. But then again, so the Deadly Assassin, right? So maybe in a repeat, they might... <laughs> yeah, but it. Mark, we've discussed this before. In the 70s, kids were harder, okay? They, they were. were like lumps of coal that had been fused into diamonds they were little nuggets of toughness kids these days are bloody fairy floss aren't they oh they're soft they're soft they are, they are. They're, they're like kleenex soft. tissues i mean you touch them and they fall apart so well, <laughs> watch it watching their favorite hero aiming a uh, an energy weapon at a child who's in in danger <laughs> uh problematic Personally, problematic, but it was resolved uh, at the end of the Particularly well. What did you think of The Witch's Familiar then? Much better. I agree. Much better episode. You know, where the cup of tea come from, I just don't understand that. It's, uh, it's Moffat's magical plotting, isn't it really? Magical writing, you know? It's there for a cheap laugh. You know, you're not expected to be able to answer it, but the, all those fans out there, those new series fans who love the Doctor's quirkiness, uh, great, wonderful, wunderbar. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Big deal. What about uh, the Doctor and Davros's chair? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, some people have asked, where did the Doctor put his legs? Because Davros is clearly missing his. Uh, you would have thought that Davros is plugged straight into the base, and uh, yeah, the Doctor it's... is basically sitting on a waste tank, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is which is interesting because it then leads to the uh, to the resolution. resolution. What happened at the end? <sighs> My understanding is that the Doctor's regenerative energy went into every Dalek on Scaro, including the Daleks who had been discarded in the sewer system, which meant that they were sort of revivified. And even though they're, you know, their base components, they've been reduced to their base components, effectively sludge, uh, they were became, you know, emotional, emotional motive again they were able to move so basically he reused the plot device from the television movie uh how so trying to steal regenerations is that right stealing the regenerative energy i suppose to make a dalek hybrid oh haven't we had that before yeah i know it's crap uh it it's a, it, it makes no sense so does that mean now the doctor can't regenerate because all his regenerations have been sucked out of him what's the deal uh, no i mean a bit of magical plotting would say that some uh, some small portion has come out of him but the davros's technology has multiplied it across scaro okay we're just filling in plot holes mark i'm just rubbing my eyes we're like anyway those, we're like those men you see on the street who are standing around sh- shoveling asphalt from here to there and just filling up plot, uh, potholes in, in 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 the street that's that's what we're doing filling up plot holes in, in in moffat's script just one final thing on the which is familiar which i thought was a better effort all round do you think that the discussion the chat between davros and capaldi davros on the doctor sorry is emblematic of where we are with Doctor Who uh, in, in in the 21st century, that it's more about the feels than it is about your drama or a, an action-adventure show. Yeah. I mean, you compare and contrast Baker and uh, the Fourth Doctor and Davros and their meetings with mm. uh, the Doctor helping Davros shuffle off <laughs> into the next world. Um it's 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 just a complete contrast, isn't it? You know, absolutely. One is full of menace and suspense, and the other one is full of tissues and weeping. And uh, Davros's reborn eyes. <sighs> Actually, one question though: in the Salem of the Daleks, as a consequence of whatever happened on that story, that the Daleks forgot about the Doctor on Scaro. Is that right? Yeah, but the universe has been destroyed and reconstituted, and the Doctor was reborn out of 
Amy Pond's memories, wasn't wasn't he? Or oh. something like that. No, because that was that happened earlier. Yeah, so no, but, I, but that's just what I'm saying. Anything goes, Mark. Anything that suits the plot goes. doesn't really matter. The Doctor can die and be reborn out of Amy Pond's memories. Uh, the, the, the Daleks can be made to forget the Doctor and then immediately remember him. Scarrow was destroyed. Scarrow was rebuilt. Uh, whatever the plot needs, you know? There's no fidelity to any sort of ongoing or... Uh, you know, people say, well, this is certain things that are going on in the new series, uh, you know, undermine continuity from 30 years ago. Well, Moffat is undermining his own continuity from two years ago. Doesn't matter, Mark. They doesn't care. First two part of the season, what are your abiding thoughts on it? Happy, sad, indifferent? Uh, I thought uh, the first episode was a terrible way to launch the new season. The second episode partially redeemed... Uh, the first episode, but also uh, the character of Missy. I thought Gomez was much more settled into it uh, in in, the, in that second episode, except for a couple of things. Um, but, you know, you sort of close your eyes and block your ears and whistle Dixie until it passes. Yeah, so I would have given, if anyone was asking, a sort of a 3 out of 10 for the first episode and uh, a 6 out of 10 for the second, and 4 of that 6 was... Uh, Capaldi and uh, Julian Bleach working some magic. Yeah, you yourself? I'm enjoying the two-parter setup. I was actually looking forward to seeing what the resolution was. Mm. Uh, look, I did have problems with the first episode. Uh, I thought the second episode was a lot better. Mm. But no signs so far of a linking arc, which I'm happy to see. Or am I wrong? Or have I missed it? Well, I'm sure the Doctor's confession disc will come up later. Oh. Uh, it, that's 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 guaranteed to come back and i'm sure at the end of it uh, the last two episodes heaven set and hell bent uh we'll see the master return uh missy the master missy is, is missy an appropriate name uh it is in doctor who today yeah call it, call it barry <laughs> be done with <laughs> Bazza. <laughs> and i just like how they introduce her this is my arch enemy like, can't I just say this is my enemy, the master? No, arch enemy is... The, it's a sort of meta storytelling, you know, that there's a nudge-nudge-wink-wink wink, uh, element to some of Moffat's latter-day writing that was absent at the beginning, uh, you know, when he was writing The Empty Child and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. He's much more playful, in a sense. I mean, that that line, you know, your sewers are revolting uh, at the end of the, the second episode is, is a sort of example of that as well. I mean, you know, it's... It, it, it's as as a fact, it's true, but as a joke, it's 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 also amusing as well. So. And also, you know, the thing about uh, Moffat's thing about why Daleks, how you know, why Daleks say exterminate was another example of him just trying to stamp his version of. Yeah, it's crap, isn't it? Really, I mean, they say exterminate because they hate every living thing uh, in the universe, and that's their that's their intent: dominate and exterminate. Mm. Uh, and to say that it's the words that they use to trigger uh, the you know the recharging of their energy weapons, well you know, <laughs> Moffat's Moffat. He'll do what he wants to do. You know he'll he'll he's just leaving it like all I suppose all other writers have done, it, but not to that extent. He's just putting his stamp on on this that and the other, isn't he? The trailer for uh, next week's episode does look uh, intriguing. Uh, it left me cold actually. Was that it? Left me cold. Um, I, I suppose it's it's pretty it's pretty. Uh, Shallow of me to say that the special effects look crap. Um, the, the the ghost figures look. It's thirty seconds. I I I find it hard to, to, to say anything coherent about it other than it left me a little bit cold. But hopefully it works. While there's life, there's hope. Yes, yes.
so that is our thoughts that were meant to be 10 minutes and turned out to be about 50, well, 20, actually, didn't it? Oh, God. Oh, no, but this is not a full episode, so let's move on to our next topic. And our next topic, uh, we everyone face Bristol and bow down towards Bristol because uh, on the weekend, uh, Phil Morris attended the Pandorica convention run by Phantom. It's Phantom Films, isn't it, Mark? And uh, book publishing as well. Oh, they book publish books. Oh, they did that one on the master. Uh, yeah, they? Oh, they released that one. Uh, so Phil um, was uh, Phil in conversation in a sense. He he gave an, uh, an hour uh, panel. He was on a panel by himself for an hour, and if it's for ten other lucky people, uh, the next day he uh, he was Phil in conversation. He sort of sat down with them and chatted in a more intimate setting. The the lighting was no doubt turned down. <laughs> There's some chamber music playing in the background, and you know. That sort of thing. So, and those intimate conversations then got transposed onto web pages on Planet Mondas, and uh, well, and everywhere else. <laughs> basically, <laughs> I uh, look as as we all know, I'm an Omni Rumor tragic, and uh, he was on a stage at four thirty in the afternoon on a Saturday UK time. For those of us who are in the uh, eastern states of Australia, that translated to I think one thirty in the morning on Sunday morning, and I. <laughs> I'd watch something. I watched television with my wife and said, "You're coming to bed, dear." And I said, "No, I've got to. I've got to sit in front of this monitor and hit F five. Nothing so romantic. Every two dear. minutes. Uh, <laughs> you sad bastard. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, you're sending me emails at five thirty in the morning. Uh, the next thing I knew, it was three fifty in the morning. And I thought, all right, so he's finished and the dissection on the internet has, has basically run down. Yes. And I've sent all the emails that I, I can to my friends about this. And 15 emails on Sunday morning. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. that. Well, I was excited because... Oh, obviously. Phil, we, got, we, we actually got from... Not filtered through, say, DWM or Starburst or... Uh, we, got, we got Phil... Uh, un, unplugged. Uh, unplugged, in a sense. Even though, having said that... The accounting of it that we got was through third parties, but I'm prepared to believe, uh, give credence to what was said. They should have streamed it, shouldn't they? Well, look, I mean, as with all these things, I, you know, you hope for someone to sit in the audience and record it, but I imagine, uh, as in Australia, in in Britain, there's all number of laws that stop you from recording other people's uh, discussions without their permissions for obvious privacy reasons. Granted, that didn't stop me from. Uh, recording my exit interview secretly with my boss in the hope that if I had to bash him in the face, I'd at least have justification on tape. So, what, did you go meet Jonathan Powell after you'd just been sacked or something? <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't sacked. I've never been sacked. But That's a, that's what Colin Baker did. He took a, <laughs> a, a, a portable, yeah, portable tape recorder in for this meeting with Jonathan Powell after he'd been uh, terminated. Was that to smash him over the head with it? Because portable tape players back then were like, you know... <laughs> What's that in your pocket, Colin? Nothing, nothing, nothing to see just, here. Just turn away while I smash the back of your skull in. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's drag it back. Yeah. Um, the main thing that Moffat, uh, Moffat, the main thing that Morris came out with, <laughs> the main thing that Moffat came out with was uh, the, uh, the snowman episode, basically, <laughs> as a result of all of all the leaks. Yeah. No. Um, Phil Morris came out and said that he actually found six episodes of Enemy uh, of the World and six episodes of The Web of Fear, and that. Uh, He'd then once he'd found it, he'd asked for those episodes to be put aside, and then as that was discussion was being ongoing, apparently the station manager and Joss came in, said, "What's going on here? I'll have me one of those episodes." Particularly uh, number three, please. 
uh, episode three, uh, and then uh, Phil then spent the next six months uh, negotiating for their return. And then when they were returned, uh, lo and behold, episode three never made it back. And Phil uh, also said that he actually took photos of all the film cans, so he has visual proof that he did find 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that he actually spent about a year before the announcement, or before returning them perhaps, um, attempting to locate where this episode had gone. Uh, so that was an interesting wrinkle. He also said that uh, at that uh, relay station in Joss, there were only 200, there were 200 other film cans in the store there. Uh, and that, I think, came out of the smaller discussion that he had later on. So uh, that now I find all that interesting, mainly because in his DWM interview, and I refer everyone back to that one, um, he said that he found six episodes of Enemy of the World, but only five episodes of The Web of Fear on the shelf. So those two accounts don't match up. I will suggest that the version that he gave to DWM was in an ongoing effort to continue to try and find episode three and that he didn't want to reveal his hand at that time. And the accounting that we got for it over the weekend, his his sort of realization that perhaps, you know, the cat's out of the bag in a sense. I'm, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get this one back. But according to him, episode three uh, was taken and sold to a collector in the UK. So on on that basis, episode three exists somewhere. It's now a question of uh, winkling it out from whoever happens to have it. And I would suggest that Phil has a, an idea of who that is. You do not blame Phil Morris for trying to keep things a secret as he can based on that experience. The information's got out to a couple of people and all of a sudden somebody has allegedly rang up the station manager and said, get this part three for me of Mm. Web of Fear. And let's be honest, it's likely to be a Doctor Who fan if they knew it was part three, the first meeting of uh, the Doctor and the Brigadier. Mm -hmm. And ship it back to Blighty and sitting on somebody's shelf for their own personal gain. Amusement. Yeah, and amusement. I mean, good on you. Well done. But just give it back. No harm, no foul. I'm quite happy to buy Web of Fear again just to have episode three. That's right. And this happens all the time. It's not just films where art gets stolen and sold to collectors because then they can gloat to themselves that they got it. They hold the only example of it. And look, most private collectors do share a lot of their their archive. But uh, the fact that it was, uh, and I'll use the word air quotes here, stolen... And, uh, mm. and to cover up the tracks, allegedly the station was burnt down. I've read an account that it wasn't the, the store itself, the, the archive. It was an administrative administrative building that went up. Uh, but uh, accounts are slightly confused. Let's put it that way. But it, as you said before, it does, it does explain a lot of uh, how Phil has conducted himself or it, over the last... or since October 2013. Mm. I mean, when he's been pressed... Either on Twitter or you know uh, on on that face that missing episodes Facebook uh, uh, question and answer thing that he did, he's been very vague, hasn't he? You know, assume well, what he said on the weekend explains that vagueness. That there are people out there who you know who he's taken into his confidence, who have leaked information, and the consequence of it appears to be that episode three of the Web of Fear is still missing, and that if he were to you know, uh, be more explicit in with what he explicit with what he knows. He's worried that more stuff will go missing. I mean, I find it. Uh, it I'm very. I'm really glad that he gave uh, the, the Q and A on the weekend, 
because it, it, it gives a, a better sense of Phil the man uh, and Phil, you know, the the, the, the businessman, as I said, and they Phil the episode hunter. Um, and uh, knowing what he, you know, now knowing what he's, uh, what he's had to go through, the extensive no- negotiations for six months to get the episodes back. Mm. I mean, we all thought that he found them, stuck it in a hold all and, and walked out and flew home to, to Britain, but clearly that's not the case. And then the effort for a year... I suppose on and off to try and track these episode this episode down, I, I think is all credit to him. And the recovery of missing episodes and missing television material is actually it's not on his top list of priorities. His priorities no. is actually the transferring of archival footage uh, for his clients. His full time job is not Phil Morris episode hunter. It's actually Phil Morris archive consultant, and that's mm. where his priority is. Well, it's it's fulfilling. Uh, his, his day job is fulfilling two things. It's a source of income. Well, it's actually three things. It's a source of income. It's helping to preserve the cultural uh, heritage of different different you know countries, and it's a means to an end of getting into archives and having a, having a look around. Yeah. Um, which you know that's fine. That's that's perfectly fine. I, I've got no problem with that. I mean, he's he's rescuing it in a sense yeah. and not leaving it to rot. I find it I find it I found it interesting that there were only two hundred uh, film cans in that in that uh, relay station that they've been sort of. <laughs> You know, you can imagine the the the, uh, the store being, you know, the the film cans in the store being slowly whittled down and whittled, whittled down over over the years, and these, you know, twelve episodes were just sort of hanging hanging on grimly to existence, mm. and, uh, and 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 Phil, uh, I won't say lucked out, but uh, it's fortunate for the rest of us that he sort of he came across them, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So whoever's got Weber Fear uh, Part Three, hand it back. Do we have anything else to say about what he said on the weekend? It's good that he's actually interacted with fans on that level, mm-hmm. I think, to try and um, demystify him a bit. Yes. And I suppose it's a, it's a way now of trying to maybe potentially rebuilding his credibility with, with the fan community. After I mean, it's been sledged for a while. You know, he's being painted as a hoarder. Mm. Uh, and like a lot of other unsavoury things. But, yeah, um, unsavoury things that we won't mention, but... Uh... No, I won't mention, but they're usually on Planet Mondas. But people aren't going to get the full answers to everything until he's finished doing what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Just be patient and be prepared for there's nothing else to find. Uh, prepared to live with the possibility, exactly. I, I will say in defence of Planet Mondas, I, I am a member uh, and a happy member. And, I mean, as with any group of people, there are those who carry themselves in a, in a manner that embarrasses themselves uh, more than anything else. Uh, but then there's a whole lot of other good people who... Uh, positive or sceptical, and they're both poses that you can legitimately take in the whole in the whole affair. As long as you are aware that your post that you put up on that uh, website can be used in the book later on. Uh, <laughs> and in any legal action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of uh, legal action, let's talk about the uh, big finish in The Last Adventure. Ooh, that was a very smooth transition, Mark. <laughs> very smooth. <laughs> smooth operator. Smooth. That's me. Both of us have listened to Colin Baker's uh, audio swan song with Big Finish, The Last Adventure, the umbrella title. Yes. For uh, uh, stories uh, that chronicle the last days of the sixth Doctor. In an attractive slipcase packaging. Slightly uh, expensive slipcase packaging. Now, this is not the first time that the sixth Doctor has, uh, has, uh, has died uh, as such, obviously on television. Uh, banged his head on the console. Uh, in the books... Um, Cornell's was it called Paul Cornell who said that 
sacrificed himself or the seventh doctor sacrificed the sixth doctor so that he could come into existence i think it was and then gary russell had a crack in uh, spiral scratch which i stood in the bookshop for 20 minutes and read the last 10 pages uh, so i don't have to buy that and found out what happened so that was good i did the same thing and that was enough for me (laughs) (laughs) and that book did not shift for six months it was there (laughs) did not move off the shelf so but now big finish uh have uh, have had their go at it uh mark first off were you surprised that colin baker agreed to um kill off his uh, his character in in this way at this time i suppose they sold it to him saying look we'll finish you off now but it's time travel so we can still keep going your adventures they obviously have got a very good relationship with colin baker much better than dwm yes <laughs> yes <laughs> hello hello tom s if you're listening is, he, is Tom Spilsbury out of witness protection yet? I don't know, but they're probably still blogging about it to each other. Somewhere. somewhere. Instead of picking up the phone. Anyway, a bit of closure for fans who felt that the Six Doctors ending wasn't suitable. And let's be honest, it wasn't on television. What did you think of it, Rob? What did I think of The Last Adventure overall? Yes. I thought it... I thought some of the individual components worked. I thought it was nonetheless disjointed in a sense I thought the second story was an utter utter waste of my 60 minutes Um, and I thought that the build up to something that we've waited for 30 years in effect didn't justify the time invested by the by me the listener I suppose from the Valiard's perspective uh, it is one continuous uh, pr- series of events that this is his plan. This is what he's building up to. Uh, from the doctor's perspective and from the listener's perspective, because we're along with him for the ride, um, it, it was just another series of four adventures that had, at you know, the last story, uh, this is where it all ties in. Mm. And I don't... Whether it's the visual element that is constantly holding them back, I'm not sure, but the story lacked lacked... The, the scope, the epic grandeur that I think it, that I think Colin Baker's oh, sorry the Sixth Doctor's last adventures deserved. For whatever comments you might have about Spiral Scratch, it does it does attempt to give the Doctor an epic finale where there's you know there's 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 a, a whole multiverse of uh, of existence that, that is at stake that the Doctor sacrifices himself to survive. Here it is the Doctor sacrifices him. And obviously spoilers for anyone, so come back in X number of minutes. The Doctor sacrifices himself to save the people that put him on trial and to, and in doing so commits genocide uh, on these little microscopic creatures who no one gives a stuff about anyway. It, it, there should have been another way. They're targeted at, at collectors, mainly. In a four CD set, it's just spread too thin. And as you said, I can't even remember what the second adventure was. I know the first one was with the, the master it's seared into my memory don't oh worry. was that that one the, the werewolf one the werewolf one yeah that was that was pants the first one was very much like a sapphire and steel ripoff the second one yeah was forgettable uh you know the, uh, with the valyard rising uh, again spoilers by the way apologies the third one was talons of wing chiang and the, the the continued obsession of uh Fan Wank, the nth degree, where the Valyard was uh, was recreating past generations mm. of the Doctors to get the emotion, ring the emotion out. It's just not needed. It could have been a, a mm. different plot device. But look, Big Finish is, is squarely targeted at uh, 
mainly classic series fans who mm. love the the mashups and the uh, and the uh, the tie-ins. So look, they probably enjoyed it. I didn't particularly well, although I did think in the last uh, five to ten minutes of the fourth CD, it tied into uh, Time of the Rani particularly well. I thought I'd never say that in a million years, but uh, <laughs> it did. Especially the soundscapes was uh, was particularly impressive. As you said, for the length of time we've had to wait and I suppose the build-up of it, um, yeah, it was disappointing. And I think that's the problem with, with Big Finish at the moment is that they have so much product, they actually are diluting the range. And especially the, the main range that, uh, that they do doesn't seem to be getting the, the same sort of attention that these special releases and, and the tie-ins that they've got with the classic and the new series and potentially... You know, once uh, if the rumours are true that they've snagged themselves a uh, a new series doctor, then don't really spo- don't, don't don't spoil it for big finish, Mark, by actually saying uh, what it is. Yeah, but I'm not going to charge people for um, for reading it out. There's no cookies on this uh, MP3 download, people. So <laughs> uh, I haven't mentioned any actor's name, but let's be honest, uh, he's the only actor from the new series who's probably heard of them. <laughs> <coughs> I think that's my problem with, with Big Finish at the moment. It just seems to be all tie-ins and mashups like a Marvel-DC crossover. Mm. And where I think there's a lot of good stuff in their main range, and when they're not focusing on continuity, there's actually some of the stories there are very engaging. Mm. I don't think they've really uh, matched the heights of the 8th Doctor uh, Lucy Miller range. I thought 50 minutes, targeted, bang, great adventures, fantastic run. Uh, and I just think since then it's really uh, dropped off as a consequence of the amount of product they're putting out. No, I tend to agree. Uh, my thoughts on The Last Adventure, I thought the first episode was very, very reminiscent of Sapphire and Steel. Mm. Uh, I thought that the explanation of what was going on came far too early and fatally undermined the impact of the story. Mm. So it went from being a build-up of mystery and suspense to... Well, here's the explanation, and off we go, and that all just sort of dissipated. Uh, but for, for for most of that, it was it was quite effective, I thought. Uh, the second episode, the Red House, uh, just a pile of you know just just giblets, really. It was just, just it, it 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 werewolves. I mean, they're a staple of, of of horror 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 movies, or they have been, but trying to do them in an audio medium is just not going to work and the way they were depicted was silly and the whole story was just not very well uh put together or uh, and and that i i liked uh very much the third episode i i know you didn't like the the the, the whole setup but i thought that the valiard recreating not only the doctor's um, regenerations but his own <laughs> in a way was was powerful uh, and and uh, and interesting and had had those echoes obviously to, to to the previous to the TV series that I I found was was very effective um, and listening to Jago and Lightfoot is always a treat. I don't think those boys have actually aged at all, have they? They sound very much as they did back in nineteen seventy seven. I have not heard any of their um, audio adventures. D- definitely with a highlight of that uh, that particular mm. story. Um, and I thought that the. F- See, the problem with wanting to fill gaps in continuity and match up with continuity in the new series, uh, in the TV, sorry, in the classic series, meant that the fourth story was designed with one function in mind, and to, that, that was to seamlessly dock with the beginning of Time and the Rani, which meant that 
how it was constructed and how it was resolved, limited, what you could do with that story. You, you had to have the Doctor uh, regenerate at the beginning of time in the Rani and have Mel sort of not realising that the, the Doctor had, had regenerated. So you couldn't have a massive, epic, fall from rock and bark falls type so, uh, sort of regeneration. No, it, I don't want just, to go. It, exactly. Instead, you had no. something that was more interior yep. uh, to the Doctor. I mean, he's stuck in the Matrix and he, the, the clock's you know winding down on him. And I thought that that slavish devotion to matching up with time and the Rani meant that the, the sixth Doctor, this big, bombastic, theatrical character, had a quite... Uh, had, his, his, uh, his finale was quite muted in that sense. And he had three farewells. He had three curtain calls from memory. You know, three oh, sort yes. of memorable final lines. Yeah. Uh, which was, I mean, I was listening to it, and I, I felt a little bit of emotion uh, just, 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 just listening to it. I think that was tied up with um, uh, me being quite stressed uh, about seeing my daughters get up on stage and sing uh, in, an, in a competition. So I was a bit emotional at that stage. I thought I was staying up to three a.m. on forums. No, hitting a five. No, that, no, 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 no. That's in the afternoon. <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> so I, I, I give the last adventure a qualified pass. But again, as with everything, it's not quite how I would have done it. But it's, I suppose it's nice to have it on the shelf. In a attractive slipcase. <laughs> attractive, slightly expensive slipcase. Yeah. Have you heard Dark Eyes 4 yet? Uh, no, Mark. I, <laughs> no, no. There's books to read. There's work to do. There's the garden to fix up. and There's, there's, just, there's life to lead. I haven't had a chance to do anything I listened like to episode one, and that's about it. Oh dear! Because Dark Eyes one and two are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Dark don't, Eyes three lost the plot it. a bit. I'm not. I'm spoiling it. But Dark Eyes four at the moment, I'll, I'll listen to CD one and I haven't felt the need. Just with big finish, and uh, obviously it's gotten around the traps that uh, a new series, Doctor and Companion, have uh, supposedly been signed on, and it's just you know the scripts are ready to go, just pending their schedules. Allegedly. Allegedly. Do you think that this is the moment that they've prepared for for a number of years? That this will be their breakout moment? That Having this new series Doctor on board, uh, you know, will set big fi- uh, big finish uh, in in the, in amongst the stars. You know, the, almost the... legitimise them. Well, not legitimise them, but I mean, at the moment they appeal to a niche audience. You know, classic series fans and some curious new series fans. But is this their breakout moment? That uh, what is this? Is this time to cash in, coin it in? Absolutely. When it gets announced formally, it will overshadow. Everything else they're doing. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll push this real hard. Which is They're pushing that link now, you know, as I said, but that, the, the mashups between Davison and, and the Weeping Angels and the Jadu and the McCoy and uh, I can't remember what the hell the other ones are. I'm curious as to how the Weeping Angels work in an audio medium. Um, I'm, I'm ready to be surprised. <laughs> and delighted. <laughs> and delighted, yes. Yes. So they're moving in that direction, aren't they? They're getting some of these new series licenses. Uh, yeah. Look, I won't, I won't listen to the Churchill one. I think that's the most ridiculous idea going around. Uh, River Song makes my hair turn white or uh, curly, so I, even I, and curly. Well, it is curly. Not that you know it, know it but it is, it, it is capable. Um, so I, I won't have a bar of that. Churchill Chronicles is most of the bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, Jesus. he's been dead for sixty years. <laughs> Fifty. Um, Let's kill Hitler in the cover. Let's do it right. <laughs> Uh, Adolf Hitler, companion of Doctor <laughs> Who. <laughs> and that was Big Finish.
You've got mail. Now we move on to our letter section, Mark. Yeah, let's have a letter. Let's have a letter. So um, we'll just round out tonight's episode with a letter. Uh, shall I read it out, Mark? Yes. Uh, who's the letter from, Mark? Ben Schneider in uh, the US of A. So hello, Ben, if you're listening. Ben, of course, has experienced the uh, the transcendental visit of uh, His Holiness the Pope uh, very recently, so I'm sure that he's moved into a more meditative phase, a more philosophical, theological even, phase of his existence. But uh, before that, he wrote this. Hello again, Doomers. Standing ovation for the last podcast where you put Doctor Who's most notorious production faux pas on trial. Also... Congrats for not taking 14 episodes to reach a verdict. My favourite discussion revolved around that coat, and I'd like to add a comment. Modern apologists for the Sixth Doctor's coat say the terrible design is understandable because it happened in the 80s, and everyone wore clashing garish clothing back then. No, no, I say. I have never accepted that argument simply because the people who were actually living in the actual 1980s hated the coat in the 1980s. And they said so. A lot. In the 1980s. You guys pointed out that in the eyes of several casual and already doubtful viewers, that coat was the final straw in killing the show's credibility. They turned off the TV before Colin ever got a chance to act for them. And it's the people's gut-wrenching reaction to that coat which got me thinking. Consider this. We've all heard the legend that John Nathan Turner chose Colin Baker to play the Doctor because they both attended a mutual friend's wedding. And the story goes that Colin was the life of the party, completely charming and entertaining, all the other guests around him. JNT was so impressed that he knew he'd found his next wonderful doctor. Now, I don't know what outfit Colin Baker wore to that wedding. Actually, there is a photo. Is it in JNT's bio by Marzen? I think it is, where it's sort of a, a cream or white blue pinstriped affair, I think. He wore it to the wedding and then he wore the same suit at his first press call. So, much more sedate. Yes. Than what he actually ended up wearing. Lost in translation on that one. Uh, so, Ben goes on, but I bet. It was not a multicoloured clown suit with clashing and garish colour patches. Well, we've just demonstrated that. So, I submit to you, if Colin Baker had attended that fateful wedding in a multicoloured clown suit, that nobody would have found him charming. I doubt any guest would dare to get anywhere near him. They probably would have whispered to each other, who was that obviously crazy person in the weird coat? And eventually Colin would have been asked to leave quietly out the back door. <laughs> kind of like what eventually happened on TV. So I ask you, why didn't J&T dress the Sixth Doctor in the same outfit that Colin wore to the wedding? Apparently those clothes were magic. Of course, I could be totally wrong. For all I know, Colin Baker did, in fact, wear a terribly garish 1980s multicoloured tuxedo to that wedding. If so, then I take it all back. But until then, I submit that J&T doomed Colin Baker from the moment he insisted that the Doctor wear that coat. So I'm sorry, Colin, it's not the fault of modern opinion polls. You just can't outact a terrible production decision. Thanks, guys. Ben. Wise words there, Ben. That sentence is possibly the best uh, the best attack, uh, the best uh, comment on that whole, whole sorry, sad situation. I might just tweet Colin that now. Hold on. Whilst you're tweeting, Colin, I will, uh, I will serenade our listeners by... Um, um, Sent. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> oh, did you see the tweets I sent? I was uh, slightly bored in a meeting at work the other day, and I thought I might just fire up some people, so I made a, made a couple of comments about Missy, uh, especially around the Delgado. Did you like my tweet this, after, uh, this afternoon that I, my prediction for this season is that... Uh, uh, my prediction for this season, folks, is this, that Missy will be mortally wounded at the end of the... at the uh, probably in episode 11, perhaps, and yep. that uh, Tremas-like, or uh, she will use what's left of the source... 
uh, from Traken and use it to uh, uh, survive by taking over Clara's body. And do you know what she says? Uh, what? A new Oswald at last. <laughs> Coming soon to a big finish CD near you. <laughs> yes. 18 disc set. 18 discs? Yeah. Oh, okay. They're, they're coupling it together, the Bandrill Ambassadors. Ah. <laughs> Great letter, Ben. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Ben. And, and of course, uh, if you've... Uh, you know, you want to take the time to compose a nice letter, you can send it to our Gmail address at 42doomsday at gmail.com. Or an MP3. Or an MP3. By that way, uh, we don't mangle it while we uh, read it out. Well, that's it. That's it. So, what, a minute or two, a couple of minutes, three minutes, Mark? No more. As than long that? as they want. As long as they want. Well, the gauntlet is laid down, folks. Five minutes, Max. <laughs> Maybe. And make sure your microphone is connected to your computer, please. And make sure you got Wi-Fi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wi-Fi and a microphone. Yes. Uh, what have you been watching or, or, and reading about, Rob, recently? What have I been reading about? Uh, or watching. Watching. Uh, well, I have... My wife and I ploughed through 40, uh, four seasons sorry, of Homeland and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. I was particularly taken with uh, season four where the... Cli- Obviously, TV, you know, these days, arc-heavy. It's all a single narrative. Uh, But the cliffhangers for the fourth series of Homeland, for the first time in a very, very, very long time, the cliffhangers were of such high quality that I was actually looking forward to watching the next episode the next night because my wife paced ourselves one episode uh, an evening after dinner. Mm. Uh, So that was a great deal of fun. And Kerry Matheson, who plays the lead, uh, Claire Danes, is the actress. Uh, I've said from episode one, that despite the fact that she is the worst spy in the history of the world, that everything she touches turns to mud, somehow she still thrives and, and carries on. But uh, a great series. Uh, I've started watching to review for ImpulseGamer.com, uh, The Flash, series one of The Flash. Uh, enjoying that? I am enjoying that, actually. It's a, it's a, it's a great deal of, of fun, you know. And, yeah. uh, and there's a, I've only sort of got uh, maybe five or six episodes in, but I'm really enjoying that. Uh, in terms of reading, um, I've uh, uh, well, actually, a couple of anthologies that I had uh, stories published in. I managed to get my hands finally on my contributor copy, so I've been looking at other stories. I can't read my own; uh, it's just it's just not going to happen. Uh, and I've been looking at a book on the oil shocks in the seventies, which touches tangentially on Britain, which touches tangentially on the collapse of the British economy. And which touches on um, the Graham Williams era. So it all links back into Doctor Who. As it should. And yourself, Mark, what have you been imbibing uh, pop culture-wise? I've been watching uh, Orange is the New Black. Ooh. Fantastic series. Uh, some of the scenes a little bit raunchy, but hey, when you get to my age, anything counts. Um, <laughs> interesting characters. Uh, intriguing uh, like backstories as well where you meet the inmates and uh, slowly over the course of the season snippets of their backstory yeah great ensemble cast interesting characters uh, clever writing uh, not in a smug or smart arsey way mm. so I'm finding it quite refreshing I watched Daredevil before that uh, based on your recommendation and uh, just like uh, Horror Fang Rock I thoroughly enjoyed it if Netflix would like to uh, sponsor us uh, I'll mention Netflix for the next five minutes if they'd like. We'll set up a Patreon account. Yeah, we'll that. set up a Patreon account, shall we? Yeah. Yes. Uh, like begging letters, isn't it, really? It's, you know what it is? It's actually sitting out in the street with a, a cardboard, a piece of cardboard with, you know, begging words written on it, whilst holding it a bowl to passing fans. Pay me for something that I shouldn't be earning any money on, 
uh, and I should be paying for it out of my own pocket. Well, pay us to stop. Yes, yes. I've got a my tax return. I've got to lodge that, and I'm sure I'll have a debt. So I need to. <laughs> if anyone would like to donate to my tax return fund, uh, just uh, hit me up at forty two to doomsday at gmail dot com. Book wise. I read the Anthony Ainley biography. Is that from Phantom Films? Phantom? Phantom? It, it is from Phantom, The Phantom Menace, yes. I think it's called Save Your Missy for Me. No, it's not. Um, the Man Behind the Mask. Did you come away with that with a greater appreciation of uh, Mr. Anthony Ainley or understanding? or? Very intensely private man. Mm. The biography itself was quite... It just lifted a lot of quotes from a lot of sources. Mm. It wasn't as engaging as the Verity Lambert one I read by uh, Richard Marsden. I know he was on the show, and mm. but uh, in terms of the way that was written, uh, that was Richard's book was much better. Is it because Anthony Ainley himself is not a terribly interesting individual? I was hoping to get more of a sense of the man, mm. Ainley, but I don't think anybody ever did anyway, to be honest. It was written in the very... It was facts, facts, facts. Yep. There was no embellishment of it. Did the writer interview anyone who knew him as a... Yeah, look, she she did interview uh, some people from it. Mm. Uh, so some family and friends mm. and, and people from his cricket team. Um, interesting enough, when he died, only one or two people from the Doctor Who uh, brigade turned up because it was that private that nobody knew he was even sick. The way it was written was quite dry, mm. whereas I think Richard's book was... Uh, it engrossed you more. Hmm. And I've started reading finally The Script Doctor by Mr. Andrew Cartmel. The Andrew Cartmel. With a, a preface by Mr. Mr. Moffat. He's hitched himself onto the McCoy bag and wagon. He has. Unlimited yeah. rice pudding, as we discovered again in uh, episode one. You know what, Rob? 25 years, if you, if you ask me, what, what, was, what did I think of the McCoy era? I would have said it was crap. <laughs> now, as a 43-year-old man... Mm. Uh, when I watch the McCoy era, I actually get a lot out of it now. And I enjoy it a hell of a lot more than what I did back then. So, you know, in, in five and ten years, we can watch some of um, the stories that I particularly didn't like in the in the new series run, and my perceptions might change. I doubt it. but um... <laughs> Yeah, life's evolving, but sometimes doesn't evolve enough. I, I noticed in the second episode that they had... Uh cameo appearances by the, uh, someone dressed up as the fourth doctor and the first doctor oh yeah that was th- that was interesting uh that was the guy from the letter it was it no <laughs> it looked it like it <laughs> the wig didn't move do you oh. think now we we all say that um mcgann is the only classic series doctor who could truly come back uh, into the role yes. but do we think that mccoy could just about pull it off no do you think moffat would want to do that Already this series, he's had clips from uh, the classic series and he's mm-hmm. had uh, look well, not even lookalikes, but people with their faces turned away from the camera in clothing that doesn't belong to them uh, appear in the second episode. Would he stretch it to include a McGann or, a, or even a McCoy? If he didn't do it for the 50th, there's no way he's going to do it now. The 50th was the perfect opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't. I mean, as I said, at the time of the 50th, even if he just had the visual references to like they did, they could have got the actors to record some new audio. Yes. It's funny. They had that whole motif or idea about the three-dimensional painting, uh, mm. the Gallifreyan painting. And, I mean, if you were worried about having, say, Colin Baker or Peter Davison sort of looking visibly you know, older, uh, or McCoy, who's now into his 70s, I think, um, surely yeah. you could have used... The whole idea of animated or 3D 
paintings, to have the doctors in those paintings, voiced by the actual characters, obviously, but then sort of getting around that whole idea of uh, having people who are visibly aged uh, appearing on the screen when you can just have sort of visual representations of them trapped in those paintings. But then again, Moffat referenced that in Time Crash to the reason why the, the Fifth Doctor appeared older. Yeah, there's a true. temporal. I can't remember what the hell it was. Uh, let's not go there. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's just. I don't know. He could do it. I mean, there's nothing to stop him from doing it. I just find it slightly odd that all of a sudden there's all these references shoehorned more. Well, I mean, if I I think that this is probably an emerging theme. In the in series nine, that we're going to see, it, it's probably a sign of a man who's confident, whose confidence in himself and in where the series is at right now, that he would be willing to dip into the well of past, you know, you know, clips and and, and that sort of thing, to sort of uh, help inform his episodes. That he's he's, he's doing that. Um, I'm not quite sure how he and the BBC might feel at the moment, given the ratings for the t- first two episodes. Albeit up against the rugby, I mean, it's just, it's it's a sacrificial lamb, I suppose. Yeah, in a sense. but gee, I was happy. Oh yes, Wales beat. Yes, England. I was happy. So look, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Does that make up for almost a thousand years of English domination of Wales? Let's talk about the ratings again. <laughs> uh, so you you're not uh, you're not uh, chicken little running around screaming that the sky's falling in that they got. Uh, four and was it four and a half and three point seven? It's not the eighties. The only people running around are people who live through the eighties and are reacting like this. I'm not overly worried because it's such a successful property worldwide mm-hmm. that they're just going to keep pumping the product out. And the ratings for the first episode went up by a million and a half on on catch up. Moffat said basically you can watch it any time you want. Mm. No, fair enough, fair enough. I'm not worried at all. It's successful. It's successful at home and abroad. Yeah. I mean, look, we've got Doctor Who Festival coming out in November, so... You're going to be you're going to be our correspondent on the ground, aren't you, mate? Yeah, I'm going to go up there. So I might even try and get some um, attendees' reactions and things or that and sort of stitch them together, cobble them together, some sort of episode. So uh, a friend of the show, Rob Lloyd's up there doing some stuff. So, uh, yeah, going up there should be interesting, yeah, hopefully. That'll be very good. Even though it's in Sid Vegas. <sighs> Sin City. <laughs> All right, and on that on that happy note, I think we should wrap it up, Mark. So once again, thank you very much for joining us on another episode of 42 to Doomsday where we sort of meandered around a little bit, but it just feels like that at the moment, doesn't it, Mark? It does. And look, if there's any topics you'd like us to, to discuss, we've got a couple more planned out for the rest of the year, but is there any topics that you think that uh, you'd like us to talk about, then send them through and we'll definitely schedule it in for next year because it's looking a bit uh, empty, the slate for next year. At the moment, we haven't had a planning session. I should go back to that Malaysian restaurant, Mark, and uh, have some fine food. Those chicken skewers last year were delicious. Look, there you go. That's the patron account. <laughs> Start sending the money for that. Yes. Help pay for our planning meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Soon to a pub near you. <laughs> So, yes. So, uh, once again, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we do invite your uh, listener comments and thoughts and feedback. And tweets. Tweets. Tweet us. I, uh, I got a lot of responses when I live tweeted, not live tweeted, when I uh, tweeted uh, about the sec- my second viewing of uh, The Magician's Apprentice. And I got plenty of responses about my Missy. <laughs> yes. Tweets as I well. think I lost a listener or a, a, a follower or two. 
Uh. <laughs> and much of your negative bullshit, I think. <laughs> I say to that person, "Fuck you, son." <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that, on that cheery note, I have been Rob, and I have been Mark. We'll catch you again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.